there are no roads on Mars. The Curiosity rover found that out the hard way starting in 2012, sustaining significant damage to its wheels from the wind-sharpened rocks on the Martian surface. What you're hearing now is testing of brand new wheels for the next generation Mars rover, Perseverance, which is currently en route to the Red Planet. Today on Pulsar, we're featuring the second part of my conversation with NASA engineer Rich Reber, the lead mobility systems engineer for the Perseverance rover, which will begin operations on the surface of Mars in February 2021. I'm your host, Eric O'Day. Thanks to Facebook Boston for supporting this episode of Pulsar. Last episode, I asked Rich what Perseverance hopes to accomplish during its mission, and today we're focusing on how the rover will get around on Mars and how his team made sure the wheels would be up for the task. So, Rich, one of the questions I've been asked a lot at the Museum of Science is, who gets to drive the robots on Mars? So we don't use the term rover driver because it's not like they're sitting in a cockpit with a steering wheel, joysticking the rover. We refer to them as rover planners. Hopefully, I get to be a rover planner one day. That's like what I want to be when I grow up. They take their guidance from the science community. We have a huge science team that's a couple hundred scientists strong from all sorts of different disciplines across the world. And that community comes up with a strategic idea of what we want to do with the rover. So they'll take a look at the orbital images. These come from HiRISE, which is a camera on Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. That imagery is publicly accessible, just like Google HiRISE raw images. So anyone can check out these detailed images of Mars. Are they awesome? They're beautiful. So if you can get your hands on those, I highly encourage it. But what they do is they look at the orbital images and where the rover is, and they'll say, I have this question. I can answer that question by visiting here and collecting this type of data. And so from all of that input, which we've been doing for the past five years, we come up with a strategic plan of where we want the rover to go over multiple years. Once we have a landing point, we'll come up with a strategic route of this is where we want the rover to go, and we want to visit roughly these spots to answer some questions. So that's the big picture overall plan for the whole mission. So that's the strategic route. Then in the near term, like a month out, we'll plan like this is kind of where we want to go for the next month. That's kind of a more refinement of the strategic route and the strategic goals. And so on a shorter time scale, can you tell us about a day in the life of a Mars rover? Actually, this goes into the operational cadence. The rover has to operate on Mars time. And the Martian day is 24 hours and 38 minutes long. So it's almost Earth duration, but just enough off of Earth time that if you work on Mars time, it really messes with your life. And so what we do is in the morning, the rover will get instructions in the Martian morning, you know, 930, 10 o'clock in the morning will give the rover instructions of what it's going to do for that SOL, that Martian day. And then the rover has five hours until about three o'clock in the Martian afternoon, when the rover will then send all of the data it has collected over the day. It'll uplink all that data to an orbiter that's passing overhead. Usually it's Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. That orbiter will get that data and then turn point at Earth with its giant antenna and much more power and downlink all that data back to Earth. That's what we call our decisional pass. And so if we have data that's going to influence what we do the next day, it has to be in that pass. 
So the RPs will get the data from the decisional pass and will say, all right, we have like half an hour to analyze that data to figure out if we're safe to operate the next day and where we are. And once we have that answer of this is where we're at and the rover is safe to do something the next day, then the science community will have to say, this is where we want to go. And they'll give like a waypoint or the target and the RPs will have to figure out how to maneuver the vehicle to get to that target to do the science tasks that they want. Now, I imagine some drives might be fairly easy. Please go 30 feet west over clear terrain to that big rock. When does the planning get really challenging? One of the hardest drives to plan is a precision approach where the scientists want to use the robotic arm on a particular target. So the rover planners will have to maneuver the rover to get that target within something we call the magic cylinder, and that's the workspace of the robotic arm. That cylinder is not that big. It's only about two feet wide. Coarsely speaking, you have to get the rover within two feet of that target. But, you know, in reality, it usually has to be much more accurate than two feet. Usually it's, you know, a few inches. We have to position the rover. And you're not driving on pavement. You're driving on dirt. You're driving on sand or loose rocks. So the rover is slipping all over the place as you're driving, which affects our ability to understand where the rover actually is. Positioning the rover just so, so you can get the robotic arm out and poke a rock in the exact spot you want or take a spectra is actually really challenging. Those are the the hard drives. Now, when we were talking before we started recording, you mentioned that a Mars rover can kind of act like a self-driving car with a feature called AutoNav. So tell us how that works. The rover can drive in two different modes. One mode is the rover planners can define a drive for the rover. You know, go straight for five meters, turn left, go another five meters to go around that rock. But the issue is you're limited in how far you can drive based on what you observed the previous day. That could be problematic in that if you're sitting on a nice flat plane, you're limited by the resolution of the cameras. But if you're sitting at the base of a hill and you want to go up and over that hill, you can only see to the ridge top of that hill. So if you want to drive beyond your camera resolution or beyond what you can see, to do that safely, you need something like AutoNav. And so the way AutoNav works is the rover will take a stereo pair from the camera mast. These are cameras on either side of our rock vaporizing laser beam Cyclops eye and convert that into a height map. So we'll get an idea of the geometry of what's ahead of the rover. And from that map, we can then find a safe path that gets us towards the goal that the rover planners have defined. It basically does this cycle every meter. So it'll take a picture, build a map, find a safe path, drive a meter, lather, rinse, repeat. And it inches its way towards the goal. And what's new about AutoNav with the Mars 2020 mission and Perseverance? So the fundamental architecture of that has not changed in any rover that has had AutoNav. So what's different on Mars 2020 compared to Curiosity and Spirit and Opportunity is we have some poignant upgrades that have allowed us to be more efficient with this. So one thing is the cameras we use to collect this data and to build our maps have a 90-degree horizontal field of view, which gives us a huge swath of terrain in front of the rover. We can build our entire height map from a single stereo pair, whereas Curiosity and Spirit and Opportunity needed about four sets of images to build that map. 
Additionally, during entry, descent, and landing, we're doing a new landing technology where we're taking images as we land and processing them on this standalone computer. Right. We heard about that last week to be able to improve the accuracy of the landing. Once we finish landing, we're taking that standalone computer, which is in the rover, we're reprogramming it and repurposing it for image processing for mobility. And so as we're driving, we can send imagery to this third computer that is only doing image processing. It can do that processing extremely efficiently. So creating like a height map on Spirit and Opportunity took somewhere on the order of two to three minutes just for the computers to process the imagery. And what we can do is we can do that same processing in three to four seconds. That's a big difference. It is a huge difference. And so what that means is now our image acquisition is a lot quicker because we're only taking one stereo pair. Our image processing is a lot quicker, which means we can do image acquisition and processing in the same time it takes to drive a meter. We call this thinking while driving. It sounds very pedestrian, but yes, the rover can walk and chew gum at the same time. And that's a huge improvement on efficiency. So when you turn on AutoNav, Curiosity would drive notionally about 20 meters per hour. With AutoNav, you could go end zone to end zone in about five hours. That's your entire day. What we can do with AutoNav, we could drive somewhere between 80 to 100 meters per hour. So we're doing somewhere about four to five times faster. So in an hour, we can go end zone to end zone. Imagine that for like a kickoff return, you know, we can make it there in an hour. So slow and steady when you're exploring Mars, right? The rover does not drive fast. Her top speed is just shy of 0.1 miles per hour. It is so slow. Our OSHA survey has basically said, if you get run over by the rover, it's your own fault. But the fact that our processing time is so much faster has really enabled AutoNav to be much more efficient. And in addition to the speed of AutoNav, how we say we've addressed its paranoia. Historically, we've treated the rover as a big disk that's really wide. You can get no hazards within that rover disk. Now what we're doing is we're actually predicting where the wheels will be and we're making sure there's no hazards where the wheel is going to be. So we can get much closer to rocks that are otherwise hazardous and allows us to drive much more efficiently through much more challenging terrain. So definitely some upgrades in terms of navigation, but a lot of people over the last few years have asked about the wheels of Curiosity. They sustained a lot of damage on Mars. How have you addressed that with Perseverance? Oh, our tires have been completely redesigned. Yes, we reinvented the wheel. Every rover we've sent to Mars has had a different tire design, and it's because our understanding of off-world terra mechanics is evolving. So the Curiosity tire is plagued with a durability problem. So when we were first designing Mars 2020, I gave a really challenging problem to the mechanical engineering team, which was don't have the same durability problem that Curiosity has. Get equal or better traction compared to Curiosity with a 12% heavier rover. But I'll make it a little easier for you. You're allowed one and a quarter kilogram more per tire. So what the mechanical engineering team did is they started from the Curiosity tire. And they said, well, we're going to have to do a lot of testing. So they 3D printed a plastic tire full scale of Curiosity. And they did a single wheel test. It's called a drawbar pull test. And they looked at the traction of the tire. 
and they found that plastic tires and metal tires have the same tractive properties. So we can use plastic tires to test traction. What that did is it allowed the durability question and the traction question to be divided and solved independently. So first you could focus on a tire that would drive off-road on Mars really well. How do you figure out the best design for that? What the team did is they 3D printed something like 70 different tires, and they varied diameter, width, the tread design. Technically, they're called grousers. So they changed the different grouser design. They changed the grouser height. They changed the grouser spacing. They changed the wheel crown. And so they had seven or eight parameters, and they iterated across all these different parameters to find the most tractive tire. The answer was you want to get the biggest diameter possible. Diameter is the single greatest parameter that affects your wheel performance. But the issue is we're not sending like a monster truck to Mars. Like we can't send the crusher. I really want like 44 inch mud tires, but I can't get those. So if we make the front wheels any bigger, the front wheels will actually hit the robotic arm turret when we're stowed for launch and cruise. And the middle wheel, we can't make any bigger because it'll pop through the heat shield. But we had no constraints on the back wheel. So I really wanted giant tires in the back to make it look like a drag racer or an Indy car. <laughs> but that's like way too many piece parts for us to design and build. So all the wheels are the same diameter. But they're two and a half centimeters bigger in diameter. That was the biggest we could go. And thicker in the skin. So the skin is a little thicker to make it more durable. So we've got these super sick rims. They're black with titanium spokes that absorb the touchdown loads. They're really awesome. And once you had a design that would be efficient, how did you simulate driving on Mars to test the wheel durability? We tested these on basically a merry-go-round. We took three wheels, we put them on the end of a five-meter pivot, and we ran these things around in a circle for 20 kilometers. And in that circle was our test track, and we put different types of terrain. To give you an idea, we had to take really sharp rocks, cement them into basically like concrete tiles so they don't move around. And then we put that in a circle around this pivot so the wheel was driving over these tiles. And we hit these rocks so much that the rocks started dulling. And so we'd have to rotate the tiles so you'd get a different impact angle. And then it would dull that. And after four times of rotating the tile, you'd have to take the tile out and replace it. And so we ran this thing in a circle for 20 kilometers. And long story short, we had a crack. We took Curiosity's tire, we ran it on the same test track, and it survived for three laps, like 100 meters. We were worried about tire actually damaging the test rig because it was so broken. This test was super cool for like 20 minutes, but we ran it for three and a half weeks. And it definitively proved that we have no wheel durability problem. I am relatively certain our tires are going to be bomb-proof for the life of the mission. So a lot of things to worry about, but the tires, not something we should lose sleep over. The only thing we need to worry about is getting a bald tire. As we drive, we'll actually wear metal off. So we can measure wheel wear based on grams of aluminum lost per kilometer of driving. I don't think that's going to affect our mission life. Like our plutonium is going to break down before <laughs> the tires are going to wear away. Well, that's definitely good to know. 
Rich, thanks so much for giving us an in-depth look at moving a robot around on Mars, and good luck with the Perseverance mission from all of us at the Museum of Science. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm really looking forward to being six wheels down on Mars. Perseverance will begin its journey across the perilous Martian surface in February of 2021. Be sure to follow the museum on social media to find out how to watch the landing with us. On your next visit to the museum, check out Destination Mars at the Charles Hayden Planetarium, an in-depth look at the latest efforts to reach the Red Planet with human explorers. If you've got questions about robots exploring other places in the solar system, send them to us at sciencequestions at mos.org, and we'll answer them in an upcoming episode. Until next time, keep asking questions. <laughs> <laughs>